Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and live and in person, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I cannot lie to you. This is the last place I want to be right now. We have an entire <laughs> metropolis outside. Beautiful 70-plus degree weather. And right now, we're camped up in our co-worker Matt Dollinger's hotel room. We're trying not to go through all of this stuff he's got laying around because, of course, you know, small baller sharp, couldn't get into his hotel room, so now we had to figure out an alternate place to tape our, uh, uh, tape our episode today. So look, Andrew, we have an entire world to conquer. We've got Jordan events, we've got Intel events, we've got Nike events, we've got Adidas events. <laughs> There's a million events, okay? We're, we're going to so talk here for events. a little bit, but we're not going to drag this on for an hour and a half all-star preview, okay? There's just no way. We can't do that. Yes. Thank you for acknowledging the obvious, okay? It would be more fun to be outside enjoying the 75-degree weather right now. I love it. As much as I've hated on the West Coast over the years with you, it is fantastic to be out here. It's less fantastic to be in Matt Dollinger's hotel room. Um, you know what's weird is downstairs in the lobby, you know, you're staying at the official media hotel, and there's all sorts of who's who of media members walking back and forth. And you know what was really striking to me is not one of them said, man, I wish we were in Toronto or New York right now. <laughs> Didn't hear that. I did hear some flip-flops. You know, I did maybe some squishy yeah. shoes from the pool. Uh, but, yeah, no, L.A. brought it, okay? It was raining earlier this week. We got that out of our system. We wanted to play host um, for the entire basketball world, and I think that's what we're about to do. That was my thought on the way out here. It's like, man, they should just do it in L.A. every single year. Uh, but beyond that, despite my struggles with the hotel room, I will say it was pretty great to get in here and get a text message, a text message from you saying, can I pick you up from the airport? That was first-class chauffeur service from Ben Golliver. Five stars on the Uber rating from you. Yeah, no, I've got a bill for you ready, an, an invoice. It'll be coming. You, you probably submitted on your expense report. But, uh, you know, I try to do what I try to do. It's, it was a, uh, I mean, I got to say, you fit right in with the people who are waiting for the curbside pickup, you know. <laughs> 8 a.m. DC, you weren't, you know, flight, you weren't dressed in your finest, but that's okay. You're going to get all cleaned up. I'm sure you're going to hit the clubs tonight, pop some bottles, do what you do. And, uh, you know, hopefully Alice doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> That's right. We've got a lot going on. Um, all right, let's dive in here. We've got, I, I put together a list of different things that have emerged this week. The number one thing that I think isn't being talked about enough, and we've said this all year, but the Spurs are really beginning to struggle without Kawhi Leonard. And granted, they've been without LaMarcus Aldridge recently, too. But I think that if we're looking at stories to watch past All-Star Weekend, the Kawhi thing is going to become a bigger deal as we go forward. So what have you heard? What are you thinking? You are it's sort of an honorary member of the monastery. Where's your head at with all this? Panicked. I'm freaking out, Andrew. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, looking at the All-Star Game split this year, basically teams have like 25 games left, right? Uh-huh. That, that, normally it seems like that number is bigger. I don't know if it's because the season started earlier exactly how it broke down, but this is a, a very tight stretch run. And I mentioned this previous previously, but for San Antonio, they have to get into a groove. Like to right. make it work, to make it feel like they can beat uh, Golden State or Houston, they want to get a groove. And I guess I'm at the point right now, the reason why I'm panicking is 25 games enough to get Kawhi into a groove where he needs to be uh, to go against the league's absolute best? I'm not sure it is. You know, I think that's a 50-50 proposition. And then, and then you have to say, 
is he even ready to come back right after the All-Star break? Does anybody know? I mean, we haven't gotten any sort of a timetable on where he's at. I mean, I think the whisper campaigns are starting to begin about like, you know, you know, San Antonio always takes care of their guys. Is this another yeah. situation where they're taking care of him? How certain are we are that he's going to come back at some point this season? I think that's kind of an open question. And of course, you know, they're not providing any answers. And the local media down there does their very best to, to pry stuff out of them. We haven't seen any answers from them either. So uh, I guess the reason why I'm panicking is if he's not like back within a week after the end of the All-Star break, what's the point? Yeah, it's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way because I'm more worried that he's just not going to come back at all. But I think it's it's fair to say that even if he did come back like in the third or fourth week of March, like what are you really getting at that point? That's I've, I've had the same thought about John Wall too. Like it's asking a guy to come back and suddenly play himself into shape and to be close to 100% for the playoffs like isn't very realistic. Well, Andrew, when I look at those two situations, they're not comparable because in San Antonio, they play for banners, and that could be title banners, that could be pro rodeo of the year banners. That's mm-hmm. what they hang in the AT&T Center. You guys play for first-round series victory banners in Washington. If you can get one of those, it's a big deal. So if that means Wall has to be on a wheelchair to get him out there in the first round, so you can sure you know, wheel him on out there, get him out there <laughs> for that four-five matchup. One hundred and seventy-five million dollars well spent. Um, no, in all seriousness, though, don't you think there's a little difference in terms of which, which franchise might push this a little more than the other? Oh, there's no question that the Wizards will want to push Wall to come back regardless. Um, but I, I, I think. What I'm saying is, like, in in part because the Spurs are so cautious and so smart about the way they manage this, like, Kawhi coming back, he's going to be on that schedule where he plays, like, 15 minutes a game for the first three weeks. And, like, you can't do that late in March. Or, I mean, really, like, the window is beginning to, to close here. So he might get above 20 minutes in the second round of the playoffs. <laughs> right, exactly. They, they ramp like, him up so slow. Pop's going to be doing the every-other-day thing in the first round of the playoffs, and that's harder to sell. Well, flip this then. Would you just say Kawhi C in September? I mean... I, th- I think that's where we are. And it, it, that in itself is a pretty crazy story. That It looks like that's that's how this is going to end. And then at the same time... You look at the West right now. I'm looking at the standings here. The Spurs are 35 and 24, half game ahead of the Timberwolves. They're two games ahead of the Thunder. They're only three games ahead of the Nuggets right now, and who are in the seventh seed. Like, if I mean this, this could break bad. And I know that's like blasphemous to even think about or and say out loud, especially in a room with you. But and and I'm sorry, this is an intimate setting with the two of us in the same place. But I think we need to start worrying more about the Spurs. Yeah, maybe well, not. The good thing is they'll come out of the All Star break and rip off eight straight wins, <laughs> yeah. no matter who they're Render playing. All of this no, is irrelevant. I, I shouldn't say that though, because I believe their their schedule does get a little bit difficult after the break, and that feeds into the concern a little bit. I'm never gonna, you know, truly panic about okay playoff positioning or whatever else. But I think if you're Popovich, you know, at some point you're gonna have a realistic conversation with your front office about like what is our best case scenario this season. And I think a lot of years, including last year they probably felt like title was possible. I mean, when you're yeah, up that Yeah, it's kind big, of amazing. They really did think that last year. Well, and, you know, you never know what would happen in that Western Conference Finals. But <laughs> I, I actually do know what was going to happen in the Western Conference Finals, but I'm glad that they've been able to keep that alive. Well, look, you know, somebody had to slow down your role player, and unfortunately, <laughs> that guy was injured, right. Kawhi Leonard. But, um, 
can they tell themselves they're winning the finals this year even with Kawhi healthy? I'm not sure they can. You know, and it it pains me to say that to count them out, but I don't see any way that they win it this year with with the quality of the top two in the West. Even if Kawhi's back 100%, I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I it's it's something to watch, and it's definitely like as we spend the rest of the weekend talking to people and going to all these bullshit sneaker events like that's gonna be the number one thing i'm looking to find out more about because it just is crazy that the mystery has gone on as long as it has and that no one really has answers this is like markel fultz's jump shot except it's happening with the third best player in the league yeah a guy who's a professional nba player <laughs> <laughs> it's t- it's really tough and it also like the spurs are vulnerable right now um but let's move on here another another topic to hit the warriors lost again uh on wednesday night to the blazers earlier in the week they let steve kerr let the warriors coach themselves and they destroyed the suns another another uh greatest hit in the in the year of the Suns here well one thing we've learned about the Phoenix Suns is you cannot shame them into being a great team because I've mentioned the stuff that San Antonio has done to mess with them in the past I mean Popovich has obviously blasted their owner publicly and uh you know he's always doing you know just trying to blow them out on purpose to make them make them feel bad about themselves and Golden State I mean we can argue disrespect, uh, not disrespect, whatever. I mean, that is so. <laughs> that is a giant middle finger <laughs> to your whole crew. Okay, I'm sorry, and like I don't even think that's wrong. Yeah. Because I probably come on here and more disrespectful on a weekly basis to the Suns than anything <laughs> that Steve Kerr did. But bottom line, like th- well, that was rough. It turned into this like meta media story basically and i contributed to it because i was i tweeted something like making fun of the idea of like colin coward type shows debating whether it was disrespectful or not yeah uh but to be clear it was definitely it was definitely disrespectful but who also like the flip side of that is who gives a shit about disrespecting the Suns? like they clearly deserve it at this point yeah and like i I thought jared dudley's take on all that was probably the most salient point where he was just like i mean look this we have to take some pride in ourselves and like we deserve to get disrespected on nights like this well i think the bigger point is they've been trying to take pride in themselves for like a solid five or six years now the good teams keep coming along intentionally punking them disrespecting them without any fear of reprisal and it's not improving their organizational culture at all it's like hey ryan mcdonough g uh, you know gm let's give him an extension (laughs) great plan yeah let's see how josh jackson's doing um no look I think if you're Phoenix, you have no right to complain about it. Yeah. Be better. You know, I think that they understand that. But it's tough when, you know, you're essentially fielding a G League outfit for four straight years. And there's not really a ton of hope in sight. And you look at the the nature of their uh, roster. I mean, this wasn't a one-time 40-point loss. This is happening consistently for them. Is there any solution for the Suns? Like, what do they do to avoid this happening again next year? Or is that just their role here in the NBA going forward? I mean, that's the bleakest part is like if McDonough, his takeaway is, look, I'm sick of being disrespected by the Warriors. <laughs> I'm going to go out there and chase every free agent this summer. He's going to make some huge mistakes. Yeah. That just buries them for another three years. So, I mean, they're they're back to where they were, praying that some of these prospects turn into actual players. And I think I'm back where I was previously, not really seeing much upside in their prospects. You know what I enjoyed? It, Steve Kerr is really something right now. Like it, 
he has the disposition of someone who's like perpetually in the midst of a TED talk as he's like talking about his team and like the different ways to reach him and the nature of leadership. And uh, I don't know, it, it, like the Warriors, I think you could make a good case that if the Warriors coached themselves, they would be better all year um, because Kerr is constantly doing all these like mind game things. Well, they'd play a seven man rotation yeah. first of all. <laughs> yeah, Draymond would be like, look, we're going to run the Steph yeah. and KD pick and roll every night and no one's going to do shit with us. The first thing that would happen is Draymond would go, hey, 30, how's your ankle feel? It's a little sore. We're not sitting you out. Get out, <laughs> yeah. here. Get out here and take 10 threes. That's the first thing that would happen. Yeah, I enjoy Kerr getting progressively more and more ridiculous. I guess that's, that's my take on all of this. Um, but they're and exasperated too. I mean, he he shifts gears in terms yeah. of what he talks about so well. He could uh, he's one of those few people who could really do a one man podcast and do it well. Like yeah. you know, if he just thought you know, if he did my morning reflection hour, <laughs> right, and then he just went into the studio in the afternoon. It could be gun control. It could be like the nature of sportsmanship. It could be teamwork, camaraderie. Yeah, uh, I, I would listen. I'd tune in. I'd subscribe. I'd love it if he. It, I think he's too smart and and too good of a guy to write like a no holds barred tell all book at the end of his career. But given some of the characters that have been in his orbit, it would be pretty great to have just. Have him just unload everything from the last twenty-five or thirty years. Hey, how did uh, how'd Katie look in that Blazers game? <sighs> he looked fine, man. <laughs> how are how are the Warriors looking though? <laughs> okay. Oh, you're gonna no, no, dodge no. it again. I'm just saying. I think we're. <sighs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to do the do worried it. about the Warriors segment, but it's becoming an issue where like they just don't show up for half of these games. Okay. Well, look. If we're going to do this segment, you have to answer me, who is going to beat them in a series? Is Cleveland going to beat them in a series right now, as much as we love their new additions? Mm, that's, that's another thing that I've been thinking about. Or this, is going to be, this is going to be a freestyle. I thought that was going to be a quick no. <laughs> freestyle pod. That was not no, a quick no at all. No, actually, shifting gears from the Warriors for a second, I think the, the, the Cavs right now are better off for the regular season than they have been in the last like four or five years or the last three or four years. But I also think that like, while they may have sort of replaced a lot of Kyrie's offense from a volume standpoint, one of the issues that is being overlooked is like Kyrie in those Warriors games was so good at just kind of freestyling on his own and taking over like, like a, the second quarter he would just he would just go nuts for eight minutes in a row and that's the thing that like george hill and rodney hood while we love those guys we've been very pro calves lately it's been pretty weird but they're not going to be able to do that in the finals and that that's where they're really going to miss Kyrie. well that's why i think the best comparison for the 18 calves is the 15 calves where lebron does the lebron show doesn't really need that secondary help throughout the eastern conference it goes fine for him but then in the 2015 finals, when the Warriors are still trying to kind of figure themselves out, like, who are we? Are we as good as we think yeah. we are? Is our system going to continually work? Remember all those articles people were writing about their adjustments throughout the course of the playoffs? Like, we look back and say, oh, of course they won in 15. But that was not necessarily guaranteed. They still were going through that whole uh, process of convincing themselves they could be champions. And... Uh, LeBron hit the wall in that series. He didn't have enough help. I mean, Kyrie goes down early, and that was the that was basically it. That was right. sort of checkmate for them. And so I could see the same thing happening. To me, there's one team that can beat Golden State in a series if things go 
well and Golden State's healthy and it's Houston, but you don't want to give them any credit. No, no, no. So you're stuck because <laughs> you, you, you can't concern troll the Warriors unless you come back around and give Houston some level of respect. I'm so, beginning to warm up to the idea of Houston as a uh-oh. credible threat only because the Warriors keep screwing around. And also when you take a macro view of what's what's gone on in Golden State, it's just really, really difficult to play 100 games year after year after year and granted they're the best team the nba has ever seen but i think that that takes a toll can i take a somewhat hot counter to that because i i think that is conventional wisdom okay first of all these guys sit out for everything and they don't run their guys into the the ground for the minute so if any team could manage this like arduous four-year-long marathon that we hear about for decades it's this team that's kind of been jogging through that's the whole fair way, right <laughs> so i think the que- the bigger question to me is can they ramp it back up to sixth gear their game against san antonio uh not this past weekend but i think the weekend before to me i mean it's tough because they don't have Kawhi, but yeah they, they showed some real like six gear flashes in that game where it's like oh yeah okay we're, we're not screwing around tonight we're gonna actually just thump somebody um and we'll also know i think pretty quickly after the all-star break because i think they've been pacing themselves basically since october and they've openly said that mm-hmm. and if you go to flip the switch and you can't do it that's when you panic i don't think they've gone to flip it yet yeah you mentioned um kd against the blazers the other night that goes back to the rule of the warriors though when KD is going off, the Warriors are beatable. <laughs> okay, when Steph go. is going off, nobody can touch Golden State. So it sounds like Steph is the X Factor? Ste- well, <laughs> no. Steph, Steph is not the X Factor. Oh. Steph is not the role player. Steph oh, okay. is the fucking star, and they need to remember that sometimes. There's another rule about the Warriors is if the opposing point guard goes for 40-plus, they're probably losing, right? Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that right. one doesn't fit into your uh, so it's framework too early. curry love, does it? <laughs> it's still too early to worry about the Warriors. I'm just thinking... Coach Ted Talk is clearly not getting through to them, and uh, it may not matter. It probably may not matter. So this just got more interesting. You're blaming Kerr for this. No, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying that this is all stuff to be thinking about as well, then we what are the you doing second here? <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to push you into one of these arguments. I just got off a six hour flight, man. I've got a lot going on later in the day. Uh, look, I think you want to blame Kerr a little bit. Deep, I mean, you don't have to say oh, it's his fault, but you're, there's tension there, you're saying. Yeah, and I, I also think that there's just some fatigue that happens when you've, when you've all been in the same locker room playing nine months a year. And it just, like, I think Kerr himself said that my messages aren't resonating the way they used to. And, and I think that that may not be an issue, but especially you you couple that with the lack of depth and uh and houston i do think is probably the the realest challenger the warriors will have to deal with and and probably the the biggest threat beyond lebron that they've had to deal with over the last few years so it's just i'd say like i was 99 percent warriors are winning the title like two months ago and now it's more like 85 percent all right well <laughs> if it's still 85 <laughs> percent that's pretty good. Well, I think some of it, though, in terms of resonance, it comes down to stakes for me, too, right? Like, if you're used to gambling, you know, on the $1,000 table or whatever analogy you want to use here, and the Warriors are, and then you have that random February game against Oklahoma City where that's their season, or every time Houston goes against Golden State, you know, they've been looking, circling that game for weeks and weeks, and you're Golden State, and you're like, well, 
this is a February or a March game. This is like the penny slots. Like, am yeah. I even going to care? And I think, uh, you know, that is one of the curses of being as excellent and as consistently excellent as they've been over these last few years is there's a warping effect. Like what everybody else views as like an important milestone game, like head to head, let's see how they do. <laughs> they just view it as another game, you know? Yeah. Um, one other team to, to wonder about going forward, Celtics, man. It's gotten ugly. They lost to the Clippers on Wednesday night. Is Marcus Smart that valuable? Well, I was just wondering, you think it's the London trip? <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the London trip. I can't believe like, the NBA did that to I mean, the Celtics, man. It, it screwed them up for six weeks before the and trip. I, I don't know been, how the Sixers have survived. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a remarkable. Testament. I mean, you have to give it up to Embiid and Simmons and the young guys. I mean, maybe they're just too young to feel jet lag. That Obviously, you know, that, that does happen. Yep. As you get older, you feel the travel effects like you just mentioned, you know. <laughs> Six-hour flight, you're all tired, you're ready for a nap. You know, five years ago, Sharp would have already already been down on uh sunset boulevard you know spending his hard-earned cash so i i don't know what else to pin it on i mean that was so unfair to boston <laughs> and you know their fans and their media and their fans in their media for them to have to go all the way to london for that game yeah. it, it ruined their whole season <laughs> <laughs> they definitely needed the all-star break i will be curious to see where their season goes from here hey speaking of coaching though brad sounded a little snippy going into the break didn't he a little i don't know if you saw what did he say no he just said we need the break and you know there could be some rotation changes and he just seemed like you know it was stern brad yeah well and that's part of the reason that they're actually a successful franchise is because they're not going to put up with like bullshit losses where the team doesn't really show up and doesn't look engaged and uh like the stretch that the Celtics are having, the Wizards have like once a month, and uh, I'm sure that I, I like I do think that they'll get it corrected. But I it's I feel vindicated as a podcast. We took a lot of heat earlier in the year when we were like, no, nah, I mean the Celtics are not like the the class of the East. <laughs> we took heat. For, we took heat for that. <laughs> yeah, we did take a lot of heat oh. in the emails. Um, what other Celtics related topic to hit? Did you see Isaiah get ejected last night? Uh, with the, after the the spat with Rondo, yeah, I when I was a kid, a small kid, I went to the Cayman Islands with my parents, and they have this game where you basically put two crabs in a circle and they fight. <laughs> but then also, there's another way to win, like which either the crab can kill each other, I guess. Or the crab leaves the circle and then that one wins, right? Okay. That's what I thought of when I saw Rondo and Isaiah kind of going chest to chest. It was just this weird two-man dance that they had going on. They were like feeling each other out. Now we're moving over here. It's just bizarre. Could I just say that I mentioned last week that the Ubuntu team is probably my favorite title team of the of the current century. And what I love about them is that they are just petty assholes about everything <laughs> and rondo calling out isaiah for not doing enough to deserve a video tribute which was apparently brought up on the court last night is just classic ubuntu celtics they're they are all ridiculous and grumpy about everything well, Rondo was, is the most obvious version of this because his career has fallen apart the hardest. <laughs> no, Rondo like, is obvious because he doesn't really have a leg to stand on. Well, yeah, he's got, I mean, look, Doc moved on, got a huge you know contract, say what you will, from the, the Clippers, but he did great. Yeah. Kevin Garnett's like the new star with his like, funny hoodie on TNT. And also TNT. Like, one of the 25 best players yeah, ever. First ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> 
Paul Pierce is you know doing pretty well on TV. Looks like he's going to have a career there. And then you've got Rondo being ki- <laughs> kicked around from the most de- marooned in New Orleans, the yeah. most desperate franchise is looking to pick up some level of a point guard, and you know, uh, just crashing out of the playoffs the last time he was there. Uh, actually, both the last times he was there in in Dallas and Chicago. So I'm worried about Isaiah because he obviously took a lot of heat for what happened to the Cavs some of which was definitely deserved but now he's headed into this LA situation where like the Lakers I think had won 12 or 14 games when he got there and a lot of Lakers fans were beginning to think like the team is good now and now I think that they've lost two straight they they can't guard anybody but I don't think that there's a correlation between Isaiah showing up and the Lakers suddenly being bad again I don't think that they were ever actually good and it's but it's really setting up for Isaiah to be the fall guy all over again. Picture this scenario. Lakers just slow crash and burn down the stretch. The Raptors somehow come out of the Eastern Conference for the finals. Could three separate teams scapegoat Isaiah as the downfall of their season? Boston, Cleveland, and the Lakers. That could happen. <laughs> I mean... It's really possible. What a year for Isaiah. No, I feel and that's why I feel bad for him too. Hey, the other thing on Boston uh, that I wanted to mention earlier is right after the trade deadline when we did that podcast, I sort of floated this out in saying they didn't make any moves to the deadline. And I was like, well, maybe they just don't think they're good enough on the same level as the Cavaliers. And I think at that moment that might have sounded a little bit like I was kind of trolling the the Celtics just because, you know, they hadn't played that huge beatdown game yet. Yeah. Now with a week of hindsight, when you look at their inactivity at the trade deadline and just this idea that like Greg Monroe is their big move, right? And yeah. you look at Joe Johnson and where he went, decided to to sign with. Well, the Monroe thing was pretty funny because he arrived in Boston with all kinds of hype. And then the other night watching him play, <laughs> someone texted me, I think Greg Monroe is pregnant. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he doesn't look great. He doesn't, he doesn't move very well. And the idea that he is going to be the guy who suddenly like supercharges that second unit is... what kind of a jerk what kind of a sexist misogynist <laughs> person would make such a comment in your text message Look, Andrew, i have no idea who that could we've be we've been over this before text messages are supposed to be a sacred place okay, but, not trying to betray any trust so stick to the point here though if greg monroe was the big move that's all they decided to do and they knew that they needed some help in there but they needed help other places you mentioned prior to the deadline they had some assets that they could have easily parted with they don't go after Tyreek Evans for example they don't right. really do anything else there were deals out there to be made now with the hindsight of how badly they got smacked by Cleveland do you think the reason why they didn't do anything this year is because they were like well we're not going to beat Cleveland in the playoffs no because again I don't think that they think that way um, I think that they like the Spurs believe in themselves and believe in their culture to a degree that's not always rational but I think that they're they're all in this year and think that the I mean particularly because when they were making that decision most of most of their talks with the Grizzlies happened while the Cavs were like a tire fire and so the idea that said it was like the spiraling Cavs and the Raptors were enough to scare them uh doesn't seem like it doesn't seem plausible to me but I still think it was the wrong call. Um, I, maybe I, that it could just be that internally they're like, Gordon Hayward is going to come back and we're we're set. We don't need to like stress too much over this. 
I don't know if I see that one, but you mean for this year or for in the future? Yeah, I think for this year because because the, the Tyreek the Tyreek thing was gonna be a, a three month thing anyways. Um, so I would not bring Hayward back for the record, and I do think that they probably could envision Cleveland making big moves at the deadline and being willing to transform their roster. I mean, I would have assumed that we all assumed yeah. that they were gonna do that, and I think if you're Boston, your offense is below average. You're having these kinds of issues. Things aren't going perfectly and you know you have issues defending LeBron. And also, the slow play process here of accumulating draft picks and just letting everything play out and, you know, being a sniper on, you know, the pre-draft stuff, being able to add an extra pick from, like, you know, a team like Philly when they really, you know, get hot for a guy like Markel Foles. That entire philosophy has worked so well for them that I wonder if the combination of, okay, LeBron is still really, really good, plus we've got four, four or five years here of evidence that says slow playing has worked well for us, kind of you know combine to that get, makes sense. get him to a place where they, they didn't want to do something. And it something. would be smart. And yeah, I think we were talking about executive of the year, and we should continue. We're going to talk about it later in the pod as well. But the best moves that Danny Ainge has made over the last like three or four years have been trades that he said no to. And that he, like, he was not willing to go all in for Jimmy Butler. He wasn't willing to go in for Paul George. And even like the number one pick thing, like – we crushed him, and I shouldn't say we. That was mostly me. I thought he was crazy at the time for buying into Tatum and just kind of like kicking the can down the road with another top 10 pick in the future. Uh, but like that has been the, the right move. Um, so you're probably that that is a valid uh counterpoint to the to the idea that Tyreek Evans was the move that they needed to make. Um, anyways. Moving on. I wasn't saying they had to do anything. I just think... Yeah, they're, that, that's, they're that go- could be an explanation for yeah. what they didn't do. I'm just getting ahead of the postmortems if Boston loses in the second round here, right? Right. Which seems like it's a possibility at this point based on how they're playing. You know, when we look back at the trade deadline, why didn't they do anything? Well, I think these are some of the factors. Yeah, and, and my only point is that, like, the 27th pick isn't going to change anything, really. Um, and I think that that was one thing that we saw across the league is people were valuing first rounders to a potentially irrational degree. I mean, well, it's because everybody's got a bad contract. I mean, all these GMs are like looking at their books, like, I, you know, yeah, I got like one or two deals that I just cannot move unless I'm going to trade for someone else whose deal is just as bad. Therefore I better just hold on to anything that's going to be locked in at like two or $3 million going forward here for the next couple of years. Cause I have no other way of adding a rotation quality player. Yeah, I think everyone around the league is just freaked out by the current economics of the, of the sport. Um, two more things. Did you see the March and Gortat, John Wall report? I did. Peace Summit. I'm so glad. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was really nervous. <laughs> I think this probably means everything's fine. These guys are killing me, okay? Because first of all, that was like a press release written by John Wall, basically. And... Not only was it a report of a peace summit, but a report of a peace summit that apparently failed to broker a satisfying peace. So I don't know why any of that needed to go public. I don't know why John Wall is continuing his war on March and Gortat, and we don't need to dwell on it, but all of this is driving me insane. And meanwhile, the Wizards Without Wall have been so much fun to watch. Granted, it's not a great sign that they needed to like dig themselves dig themselves out of a 25 point hole against the Knicks but they did it and Tomas Sadoransky <laughs> is awesome 
Brad Beal had 36 and 8 last night. It's, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm loving where the Wizards are on the court, and the off-the-court stuff is becoming increasingly embarrassing. So in terms of the on-the-court uh, you know, play that we're seeing without Wall, you know the way the franchise can secure that going forward, right? You just trade John Wall. <laughs> and, I, and I know that's what you want to do. And eventually you're just going to come out and say, it, I'm going to break you. But stepping away from basketball and this, uh, this off-the-court stuff between Wall and, and Gortat, one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is having a disagreement or an argument yeah. that doesn't come to a resolution. I, if if it gets to the point where I have to like spell it out with someone like, look, here's my take. I'm willing to like thoughtfully listen to your take. Right. Let's sit down here and hash out a middle ground. Um, and also, that's what I expect. And nine, I would say I'm fairly open-minded to other people's opinions in general if it's not about basketball um so and i'm not that big of a stickler on you know there's not that many hills i'm willing to die on right in, in daily life so if it goes unresolved that is like the worst possible feeling for me and i feel like that's kind of what happened here is that gortat said whatever he was going to say wall said whatever he was going to say they didn't really get a resolution and then it they were frustrated by it, so they were like, all right, let's just put a story out <laughs> saying we did it, even though we didn't really do it. I don't know if it was the two of them decided to put a story out. It seems like that was mostly coming from Wall's camp. And but that's what, I would, that's, that's what I would do if I was frustrated in his spot. Like, well, okay. It's a great point, though, because even when you, when you think through the mechanics of it, like, how do you sit down? What can there possibly be to resolve that can't be resolved in like a 20-minute conversation or even a five minute conversation like what are they possibly arguing about that is that difficult to i don't know i heard them compared to a uh an old married couple that is just kind of frustrated with each other and you know we'll see how it goes um i'm i i am not i'm i'm enjoying the current wizards too much to stress about the dysfunction with wall yeah, well, I mean, what are they going to come to terms about? How many buckets that Quartet yeah, gets? How, how spoon-fed are they? Typically <laughs> spoon-fed and not. Um. Well, but that's what I mean. And so I think that this is a, a looming issue for sure going forward. And I think if you're the Wizards, big picture, let's be honest. Do you want to think about having both those guys on your team next year? Or do you want to think about having neither one of those guys on your team next year? I know I'm banging this pretty hard, but is it worth it if you've got other good things going on when, you know, walls out? That's, yeah. that's my question. Speaking of other things going on, Tomas Sadoransky, is it really All-Star Weekend without Sadoransky involved? You're sure he's not here Do you think lurking? Adam Silver needs to make an executive decision to get him in the mix Sunday night? <laughs> Jeremy Lin part two? <laughs> I think he might. I think he might. That's a good... The last thing I wrote down here is All-Star Weekend in general. Who do you think is going to be the standout performer this weekend? Look, I went a little loose lips on the last podcast, took some real wild shots at the Mountain Time Zone. I don't know if I should have done that. I mean, there wasn't really a lot of thought. Those those are also your people, you know? Yeah. Like, that's your base. Yeah, and I so maybe that's (laughs) why I'm feeling guilty about it. Long way, sure. Let's just say I think Donovan Mitchell might be the one who's coming out of this. You think so? All right, so here's my worry with Donovan Mitchell. Okay. It's probably the best in-game dunker we have right now. Okay. But what makes his dunks great is his power. Okay. Okay. He looks like he's trying to tear the rim down. That does not play as well in a dunk contest setting. I'm worried that he's not going to be creative enough. 
to really sell it on All-Star Saturday night? Well, he's Adidas family, right? He's Stripes. Okay. So yep. theoretically, he's had some text messages with Damian Lillard. You can give him the dunk contest experience. I think Zach experience. Levine is in the Adidas mix okay. as well. So that's good. Um, I think, I mean, if I'm Adidas, I'm trying to locate a breakaway rim. You know, just get it up there, tamper with the hoop. <laughs> Have Donovan Mitchell corkscrew dunk. Just tear the rim off. You know, automatic 10s, the biggest night in the dunk contest history. I'm certainly considering that. I mean, Adidas has had its fair share of ethical lapses here over the last 12 months. <laughs> this would be small potatoes. But it served them well, okay? Because Adidas is currently like the hottest the hottest product on the street right now, Well, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Neither one of us are cool. You're the fashion consultant <laughs> over here. But look, uh, I think he's got a shot at it because... I mean, the guy flies at the rim like a Scud missile, and I don't really love the rest of the slam dunk contest field. And usually the winner comes from the slam dunk contest, right? Yeah. And either that or everybody says the whole weekend's a bust because there wasn't a good dunk contest. Uh, I don't really see Nance being a great uh, you know, dunk contest type He's of guy. He's a legacy entry, though. Oh, we give points for that now? <laughs> no, you, you East Coast guys, you really believe in legacy. Out here in Pacifica, we believe in earning it for yourself. But So, all right. Uh, so I would say, first of all, I don't think the dunk contest field is A++++. Mm-hmm. And I think Mitchell does have the benefit of a lot of momentum. So he's going to be getting like... All the corny commentary during the dunk contest is going to be hyping him up as a rookie of the year. You know, he's, you know, get in on him now, guys. He's the new NBA star. You know, they're going to be doing that pretty, uh, pretty thoroughly. And that can matter. Okay. I, I only asked this question to clear out and let you carry the flag for Giannis Inc. Oh. You just really disappointed me. But I think that we've all been kind of sleeping on Giannis for the last month or so. Okay. And this weekend could be an opportunity for him to remind the whole world that he is he is the next in line. He is, he is the, the heir to the KD and LeBron throne. What does that involve besides his uh, risque joke on Instagram Live yesterday, which <laughs> yeah. if you haven't seen, you know, quite good. Look it up, all right? Giannis, impossible to root against. A freak in, a, a freak <laughs> on the court and a freak on the sheets. Um, so I just, I, I'm, I'm predicting Giannis as all-star MVP. Because so hold on, though. Go back to the f- philosophical argument here. Are you the winner of all-star weekend if you're the all-star game MVP? Do you know who won last year's all-star game MVP? <sighs> Didn't hasn't Russ won it a couple times in a row? He's now? won it a couple times, but he didn't win last year. Anthony Davis won it last year, setting an All Star Game points record. But the only problem was his team traded for Demarcus Cousins during the third quarter, so nobody yeah. remembered oh, yeah. the fact that okay. he had done it. And he was the hometown hero, and no one cared. So I guess my real takeaway is um, I don't think Team Steph, Team LeBron is going to save the All Star Game. Yeah, and so therefore I think that's going to continue to be an afterthought. I'm real worried about the, what the LA nightclub scene could do to the game on sunday uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a fair concern and so so that's why i'm I'm gonna go to the tried and true route which is pick whoever i think is gonna win the dunk contest as the winner that's gonna be mitchell i mean oladipo nance dennis smith jr which of those guys who do you think is gonna win um dennis smith jr really yeah because he's he's smaller than donovan mitchell and the spectacle of watching him get up and be ridiculous is going to probably outshine anybody else i mean i don't really want to see oladipo dunk i'm yeah. happy for him that he's found a home he's in just Indiana, gonna do that 720 dunk he yeah. does over and over I would, have you seen clips of him singing 
Oh yeah, he's, yeah. He's been a noteworthy. I, I prefer to have him serenade the crowd than than pretend to like get into the dunk contest. You have really strange taste. Uh, but Dennis Smith Jr. also has more creativity in the air, maybe than Donovan Mitchell too, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So it kind of comes down. If Dennis Smith Jr. does his best dunks, he's probably going to win. Right. He he is very much a late '90s point guard, and like he he reminds me so much of Steve Francis. Yeah. And Steve Francis should have won a dunk contest. It wasn't his fault that he came along during the peak of Vince Carter's reign. Uh, but it, maybe this this is this is for Stevie franchise this weekend. <laughs> Let's also say this: the people who win All Star Weekend are probably not the guys who are in the events, right? I mean, it, there's. That's what I'm, I'm. I'm thinking. Giannis is just going to make some headlines, one way or another. Okay. The Instagram story was a good start. That was a great <laughs> we'll, start. We'll see where it goes from here. Uh, but to more substantive matters, we've got a handful of questions before we bounce here. Oh, I know one last thing on this subject that I wanted to run by you. Did you see the uninterrupted Uber video that Kevin Durant and LeBron James did? where they're going through Akron talking about various topics and like their upbringings, but the subject of the All-Star game came up. And they repeatedly referred to themselves as the two best players in the game, saying it was, you know, the pressure was essentially on them to set the tone for the rest of the game and everyone else would sort of follow their lead. Now, not invited on this ride along, even though it took place, I believe, right before the most recent Cavaliers versus Warriors game in Cleveland, I didn't see Steph in the car. There might maybe he was in the third their third row of seats in the back and they just <laughs> folded him Stuffed down. In the trunk. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just got into the car too. You know, maybe there was a second car. Um, so I wanted to get your reaction to that. I mean, is it on LeBron and KD, the two best players in the NBA, well, to, uh, look, to set the tone? Steph is a captain, man. KD is not a captain. KD did not want to be a captain. So. Make of that what you will, okay? I'm not here, to, not here to cast judgment on on Kevin Durant's character, but the facts are the facts. Um, let's move on though to discussing. All right, so basketball guyries said, "How did you guys, or Andrew? How did you not brag to Ben Golliver about being right on Alfred Payton? That's the whole reason I listened to your trade deadline recap." Uh, the answer there is that there has been a ceasefire declared on top 100 arguments. There has? <laughs> well, I have personally decided that. I've decided to sort of rein it back in a little bit because they get overly personal uh -huh. and it's not productive for me and you to just yell back and forth at each other. And you come back constantly with the, with the refrain of like, this is, we were just projecting. Uh -huh. We can't judge based on whatever. <laughs> so I don't, I didn't want to go down that road again. So why are you right on Alfred Payton? What was it that you supposedly said that was? Uh, because back in October, I was like, why is Alfred Payton on this list when Joe Ingalls and like a five different other guys i think malcolm brogdon was a guy throughout who deserved to be on there yeah i mean look alfred, I'm not alfred <laughs> had a tough season and look i think orlando they really bit the bullet after a long long passionate belief in his services and if they don't come out of the draft with a point guard a yeah. really really good point guard then they're gonna they may look back at this and be like why did we do this you know what i mean right so, because I, I, they need a solution at point guard, who's the solution? I mean, I don't want them to do something crazy like, oh yeah, let's bring Jameer Nelson back. You know, Trey Young, Luka Doncic. This I wrote about this this week when I was talking about um, just the the brightest futures at the bottom of the league. And 
I came to the conclusion that there's no logical reason to believe in the future of the Magic, but there is like a cosmic reason a team can't finish in 11th place for 10 years in a row. So I feel like they're due to get a little lucky come lottery time and come away with one of these guards. Let's hope so, because I don't know what else they do. And yeah. if you don't have a point guard, you're dead. You know, So they're looking at us. If they're not going to be developing a point guard who's going to be there for five or six years, this could only be halftime of how long they're going to be bad, which is right. crazy to think because we can't even remember the last time they were good. It was like 2012. So this summer to me is so huge for that franchise. They made the right decision pulling the plug on Alfred. I think that alone is progress, you know? I think yeah. now they can move Well, they got healthier. new people in there making the decisions, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, I, th I think those guys are going to understand that they have to have a, a more competent lead ball handler in that position. But for Alfred, I mean... Tough times, you know that that's got to be very, very humbling, and and you got to wonder what's his level of care and investment. You know, I didn't see any of those like quotes. Oh, I'm going to turn my career around. You know, blah blah blah. You just didn't really see any of that. And you look where he gets dumped to. Uh, I mean, that's uh, you know Phoenix. He's, he's played that's where, okay in Phoenix. That's, that's fine, far. but that's where that's... careers go to die. You know? Yeah. I mean, they've been cycling point guards for the last five, six, seven, eight years, anyways. So I mean, I understand why Phoenix did it. Actually, that's now that you mention it, this is the, another reason why I wasn't gloating on Alfred Payton, because it becomes kind of mean. <laughs> and so I'm not here to do that either. We wish him the best of luck in Phoenix, and I don't, we will revisit Top 100 Arguments next October. I don't think we ever really <clears throat> loved Alfred Payton, but we're trying to find one representative from their team based on you know, oh, a strong... Oh, I see. A, not, well, we don't, we don't say you have to have one. Okay. I mean, if you're that terrible and you just have no talent, you're not going to get anybody on the list. But usually you think oh a team that's on the up and coming you're gonna have one guy uh you know they had screwed with gordon's role a little bit there for a while peyton obviously was the guy who had the ball in his hands so we kind of talked ourselves into him being what like 97th i mean that's not some great what are we saying <laughs> he's like the 25th best point guard and he turned out to be the 30th it's not like some moonshot like completely inaccurate uh statement by us okay uh well moving on here Ethan says, Ben, did you know Andrew voted for Kawhi second in the MVP voting last year? Harden was third on his list. Good job, Andrew. And look, man, <sighs> here we go. The MVP arguments are already starting, and I all I ask is that Rockets fans do not try to conflate last year with this year because Harden deserves... And all the MVP love he's getting this year. He deserves the MVP this year. Not the love he's getting. He deserves the MVP this year. I don't know. What's the distinction? <laughs> well, because you're saying he deserves the love, but there could be a but at the end where you okay. make some argument no, no, no. for DeMar There's DeRozan. There's no but. There's okay. no but. I'm just asking that we don't have to award Harden two MVPs based on being the most deserving candidate this year, okay? And we don't have to go back and relitigate everything from last year. Kawhi... Being second over Harden was perfectly defensible. No, it wasn't. But look, remember earlier where I said in this podcast where I was like, I hate when arguments, you know, I'm a rational person. I hate when arguments don't reach a proper conclusion. And I hold that against, you know, that just sure. bothers me for the rest of my life. Case in point. You getting last year's MVP uh, completely wrong. You'll never forgive me. I know. You're, it's not been forgotten and it's not been forgiven. So, yes, Ethan. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> but trust me, I know this. <laughs> and however Sharp Screws has bowed up this year, I will never Kawhi, forget that either. Kawhi had a better team and also performed better in the playoffs. So basically, I, that's the, the, the audacity of Rockets fans to come back a year later after 
Harden flat out no showed no, in the playoffs. Like, come on. Come on. I, I'm glad that he has turned the corner this year and looks to be. I mean, he'll probably win it. Um, not so, that. Hold I, on, I do hold think on. we're also going to look back at this era of MVP winners and be like, man, those were like the Carl Malone MVP winners <laughs> because Steph, KD, and LeBron are clearly the three best players. So. Congrats to Harden on winning your like token MVP. I think the for this season, I think Harden's got a case as a top three player. Period. Just based on this season alone, I mean the sure. guy has been super consistent, unbelievable, major impact. His so if you were building a team charts. right now, you would take Harden over Steph. Um, well, I'm just saying for this season. That's a different question. Now you're talking about the vacuum, which is the top 100 question. I know, and question. in 1997, a lot of people would have said, for this season, yeah. Carl Malone has been yeah. amazing. Well, that's how we should vote. We should vote on this season. Sure, And so that's why, he's, that's why he should be the MVP. You just get some historical anomalies. And so here's the I'm thing saying. for Rockets fans. Look, Andrew will write the I voted for Harden for MVP column this year, but he's never going to apologize for last year. But trust me, he knows deep in his soul how he screwed that one up and he also knows he's never going to admit it publicly so for my sake for your sake for andrew's sake we're gonna let we're gonna let those dogs lie we're not going to uh uh we're not going to you know unbury them but we are going to rejoice when andrew finally turns in that hardened for 2018 mvp ballot we're gonna be so excited it's gonna be great by the way in the long history i have of rocket shade Comparing James Harden to Carl Malone might be the meanest thing I've ever done, but uh, I'll stick with it for now. No, your point is of- right. Your point is right, though, because there were some of those where they, the voters honed in on some weird things in certain years, and they sometimes they just got bored of different candidates. And, yeah. Uh, I think, though, the nature of the voting process now is so much better than it was back then that uh, it's, it's hard to make those total comparisons. I mean, we have over analysis now whereas i think they had a lot of under analysis back then speaking of passive aggressive shade uh i listened back to the other podcast the podcast we did earlier this week okay and after i mentioned carmelo's title at syracuse (laughs) he said we all had fun in college that's not a legacy (laughs) it's uh that that is up there with you calling carmelo a bystander to his own life as some of the meanest things we've ever said on the podcast. I don't even like dislike. I mean, I don't dislike Carmelo that much. I don't really know where that came from. That was just a spontaneous utterance. I, yeah, I wasn't listening at that point in the podcast, but um, congratulations. Another greatest hit for you. Next question from Ross. He says, regarding your most recent pod, shouldn't Daryl Morey be the front runner for executive of the year? He traded for CP3, brought in Tucker and Luke B- and Bob Mute. He got Gerald Green off the street, and his team has a better record than Ainge or Kobe's, and now the Warriors. I love it. I I am a full agreement. The main reason why is what they did with Chris Paul's contract, because getting him to opt in set up their whole season, and that was such an under-discussed event in NBA history for a star on the all-NBA first-team type level for years and years and years to be like, no, I don't want a four-year or five-year contract that's just going to cash me out and take care of me for the rest of my life. I'm going to opt in for one year, change teams, become the number two guy uh, on Harden's team. It was a risk for Chris Paul, and it was a risk risk for the team, too, because there was a good chance that like it wouldn't work 
Yeah. Or not a good chance, but it was... A chance. Yeah, there was like a 30% chance that, that the season was just going to go in the wrong direction and Chris Paul was going to leave for nothing. Yeah, I wouldn't say that he Maury deserves it for taking on that risk. I would say he deserves it for, one, being able to make all the pieces move that needed to make that trade happen because there was all sorts of weird little things that had to happen in terms of you know guys being included at the last minute on those uh, smaller contracts. And then also just developing a situation around Harden where guys want to go play with Harden. That's a lot easier said than done. Remember what people were saying about Harden's character? Two years ago. When Dwight goes out the door? Yeah. That's a quick rehabilitation process. That you know, That's like extreme makeover Houston edition. So I think Maury gets some of the credit for doing that uh, because he made the smart hire earlier in getting D'Antoni, who could fit all these pieces together around Harden, show that the system would work. And then that lays the the groundwork for Chris to want to go there. I so. think he should win. He should win it. I still need to think harder about this and and spend more time on it. But uh, at first glance, he seems like he should be the front runner. And it's it's weird to me. There may still be like anti Mori seg- uh, sentiments out there, but uh, um, like among the league. Um, but I also feel like we should all kind of move past that. It's not 2010 anymore, and Mori has done a really really solid job over and over again, like year after year, kind of reinventing that team. So recognizing him, I think Ainge will have a job for life after sidestepping like the downside of Isaiah's career and the Fultz disaster. Like, again, a, a lot of moves that Isaiah, uh, that, that Ainge didn't make wound up making him look like a genius, but I don't think that that's a reason to give him executive of the year. It's tough too, because we didn't get anything from Hayward, right? So you yeah. can't, you can't give him credit for it, even though he put his franchise in position to sign a free agent of that caliber, but you know, you don't dock him for it, but it's just like, you, he doesn't get, you know, what could it be an extra eight, nine wins if they have Hayward in the lineup this season, you know, I mean, yeah. that, that's going to be a big difference. And I think a lot of this comes down to record. If Houston finishes with a top two record in the league, Based on their massive overhaul, you know, Maury will probably get it. It will be interesting, though. Do his peers reward him, or do they still say, you know, he's the he's the I don't, nerd? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't. I mean, we should all kind of grow up here. I've, I have. I used to hate Daryl Morey. Um, anyways, Nicholas says, I had to write in again after watching ESPN's predictable churning the waters of. Donovan Mitchell's candidacy candidacy for Rookie of the Year. I think Mitchell's a great player, but I think a lot of his push is solely due to his scoring, more than Ben Simmons, on nearly as many attempts per game as someone like LeBron gets. Because of the way they were pushing for Kyrie as an MVP candidate, I think it begs the following question. Does ESPN have too much influence in determining awards races? Are they manipulating the system in order to create storylines, and should that be okay? Look, it's too early to start spinning conspiracy theories about what the mainstream media is doing to start skewing awards races. I'm not ready to go down this path. Everyone can just agree that Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons are like neck and neck and that this is a great race. I don't understand. We've gotten so many angry emails (laughs) from Sixers fans and Jazz fans and everybody just needs to chill, okay? Yeah, I mean, I'm just glad Nicholas said it. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicholas also, he said I had to write in again. He wrote in a perfectly sensible defense of Ben Simmons earlier in the week. But it's just like, I, I mean, it's an echo of how screwed up the internet is in general because everybody's like skeptical of anyone who disagrees with them. Well, here's what I think. I don't think it's any kind of a conspiracy. I don't think that there is, 
an end goal in mind when the media does this. But I do think there is a constant need for conversation. And these award watch things have gotten out of control. And it's happened here within the last three or four years because I've always written quarterly awards. Like that's something I've done yeah. for like five, six, seven years, right? You know, at some point, NBA.com was bringing out like the weekly rookie of the year ladder. And it's like, oh God, you know, is, is Michael Carter Williams going to hop over Victor Oladipo for like week 17? Like, right. who could possibly care? <laughs> that is overkill. You don't need to go to that level, right? It, and it actually, I think, defeats the purpose when you're getting down to that granular level. You can kind of lose focus, right? And so when somebody like Mitchell comes along and has a really nice stretch and the Jazz are winning big time games that's a huge storyline that should be discussed that's not coming at Simmons's expense he's just being thrown into the mix in a way that he wasn't earlier um if he if he was completely undeserving uh, i think at some point ESPN would cool you know cool its heels a little bit and the main reason why Kyrie was in the MVP race earlier because they didn't lose a game for like six weeks. <laughs> Guess yeah. what? If your team's undefeated, <laughs> you get to have an MVP candidate. That's just how it works. And he fell by the wayside, you know, like he should. So I think these awards processes, you know, with the obvious exception of your vote last year, they tend to work. <laughs> they tend to work pretty well. And if anything, uh, fans overreacting to the constant updates uh, is part of the problem. And so I would say, Nicholas, well, take a step back, man. It's, yeah. You're okay. You know you know Simmons is going to be there at the end of the year with awesome numbers, and Philly's going to have a good record. And most likely that will win him the award. Um, and if not, sorry. I do, it's okay. I do enjoy Sixers fans generally. And as you know, I'm friends with some. I'll see Michael Levin out here uh, of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. But they are, like, perpetually aggrieved and don't know how to just enjoy success sometimes. Like, I talked to Mike last week, and he was so down about the Markel Fultz thing. And I was like, look, if I, if I was cheering for a team that's as fun as the Sixers are, I would not care about Markel Fultz. Because it's just like, Joel Embiid is, is everything you could want in a superstar. And I'm sure that the Ben Simmons debates are going to bring out some more fiery takes from Sixers fans. But, like, I, for me, I would just be like, look, Ben Simmons is really good, and it doesn't really – who gives a shit who wins Rookie of the Year? But um, – Elizabeth I w- is listening. But, look, <laughs> Ben Simmons should win Rookie of the Year. If if he continues playing like he's played for the rest of the season, I think he'll win it. Yeah. And, and if not, then that's the time to get outraged. The Nicholas. one thing I, I will add is that all of this is a testament to the NBA's growing popularity. And it is a good sign that people are like getting fired up in January and February over award stuff. So is it a good we're not, sign? We're not complaining. I'm, yeah. I, I don't think, I think half of our listeners didn't care this much five years ago. So I, I agree 100%. I think, and I think it is part of this media ramp up, which I think Nicholas is, is pointing at ESPN. I don't think it's just ESPN. I think everybody has decided to ramp up because award stuff gets discussions, it gets clicks, and it, it does turn into a horse race. Harden goes down, boom, I have to write a column. Did he just yeah. lose the MVP award? That's how it happens. And um, Nicholas, I would say you're in the mix now. You're in too deep. You can't pull yourself back out. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the waves. You know, enjoy the ride and, and see what happens. Like, enjoy the Sixers too. The Sixers are yes. great. I love watching them. Uh, all right, one, a uh, couple more. Trey says I have a bone to pick. We're sticking with Ben Simmons here. Trey says I have a bone to pick with Australia and rookie Ben Simmons. They need to chill the f out. I use f for Elizabeth. <laughs> This whole debate on whether Ben Simmons should have Goran Dragic's spot is ridiculous. 
And the fact that all of Australia wants to get in on this too is just wrong. And then he goes on to list Goran Dragic's uh, accomplishments. Um, listen, let's be real here. Neither Dragic or Ben Simmons deserves to be in this game. And it's, it's fine under the current system. I probably would have chosen Ben Simmons. But like Chris Paul should be in over both of them. And if I, I, I think as we get closer and closer to Sunday, it's going to become clearer that like the NBA completely botched this. And then it should have just gone uh, conference agnostic, I Which guess. Is, who, who actually was making that argument well, for months yeah, in advance? You've been on oh, it. You've okay. been on it, right. man. And, uh, so you said Goran Dragic doesn't belong. What about Goran Dragic? Dragic, thank oh. you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I was really looking for a life preserver there. Um, look, I, like, no, you're Paul right. George should be in there. The game would be much cooler if even even if you limited it to conferences and then made uh, the, any replacements ir- like irrelevant to or made conferences irrelevant to any replacements. I think it would work much better. Yeah. So Paul George did sneak in, which is great because his snub case, had he not been able to get in as an injury reserve, would have been absolutely outrageous given how deep they went into the Eastern Conference to replace those guys. Right. So they absolutely need to remove all conference designations for the starter selections, for the reserve selections, uh, and for the injury replacement selections. So that means changing the rules for the fans, the players, the media vote, that means changing the, the voting procedures for the coaches vote, and that means changing the procedures for Adam Silver nominating these guys. We need the best players in the game no matter what. And this year, the rash of injuries just made it you know, all the more ridiculous on the guys you know, potentially who were getting snubbed in the Western Conference. It's terrible. And um, you know, if those guys had been healthy, I mean, think about, you mentioned Chris Paul, but you know, there's other worthy candidates, whether you know, if Mike Conley had been healthy the whole season long, a uh, guy like Paul Millsap, don't laugh. I know. Uh, no, Lou Williams should have been Lou, in the mix Lou as well, Williams, your you guy. Know? Uh, you know, you, you can go right down the list of uh, of people who, sh- you know, C.J. McCollum's another one. He actually yeah. was healthy, where you know, he's probably not feeling great about himself. And it will be cool to have Dragic involved. That don't. Uh, this isn't like a shot at him, but he's but he not- kind of is. I mean, he's the symbol of this. Yeah, and it's fine to just be a good player who's not quite an all star. Like that's where he's been for most of his career, and it's not. That he's still awesome, and everybody's going to have fond memories when he retires. Yeah, one other thing I want to clear, clear up. We got some angry emails about how we had picked four Warriors, but we had only picked one Rocket on our own All-Star ballots, uh-huh. yours, yours and I. And I want to make that clear is, look, guys, when we're picking that, we can only pick based on the deadline of when we have to submit our ballot. So we don't get to know that a guy like Chris Paul is going to be healthy for the next month after we vote. We have to vote on that period yeah. from the start of the season until that voting deadline. Well, and we were also voting on starters. Yeah, so, yeah, but I actually released my full team, oh, okay. and I left him off. I snubbed Chris Paul because he hadn't played enough, and it was pretty obvious he hadn't played enough at the time. And that's the only reason why Chris Paul is not there. It's not like we're idiots and we don't realize how good Chris Paul is and the effect that he's had, like their crazy good record when he's been on the court with Harden. It's been kind of amazing. Uh, no, it's been... That's part of the reason I'm beginning to believe in the Rockets is because yeah. with him out there, I mean, he's he's averaging like 20 and 10 and they are just clinical night after night after night. And they're smoking people because they're not, they're not bored with it yet. And you love to see that and we would have loved to reward that for the all-star the problem was he missed a huge chunk at the beginning of the season and um you have to keep a consistent standard when you're voting you don't get to just say okay chris we're giving you the injury exception this year you know it doesn't work that way yeah um all right quick podium here 
Sean says, the Nuggets are currently the sixth seed in the show with a big three that's 20 years old, 22 years old, and 23 years old. If you don't like the Nuggets, I can handle it. I live around a lot of Broncos fans, so I'm familiar with Nuggets slander. What really set me off was the take that you pulled straight from a volcano saying that the mountain time zone is the worst time zone. If you live on the East Coast, you have games during the week that start at 10.30 p.m. If you live in the Pacific time zone, the first NBA game would already be well underway by the time you get home from work. Mountain time zone provides the perfect middle ground where the first game begins right as you arrive home, almost always at 6, and the last game ends around bedtime. (laughs) Okay, so Sean, I'm not going to issue an apology here, but I am going to grant every point you just made. But here's why the Mountain Time Zone bugs me, and it's a stupid inside writer thing. We do a lot of radio interview requests and stuff, you know, over the course of an average week or an uh-huh. average month, right? The Mountain Time Zone people who book you screw up the fact that they're in the Mountain Time Zone and where you are <laughs> at least five times more than any other bookers. The East Coast bookers. They, they will let you know where they are, and then they'll confirm what time zone you're in. The Pacific time zone, for me, there's never any problems. Even Central, they usually get it right because they know they're one hour off of East, so they're paranoid about it. Yeah. Mountain time zones just living their best life without any concern for where anyone else lives. So they will just say, hey, do you want to come on at 1 p.m.? I'll say, sure. They call at noon. Well, what do you, why are you calling at noon? Well, you're on the air. It's 1 p.m. where we are. It drives me absolutely nuts. So for that reason, that's why I blame the mountain time zone. Okay. Fair enough. Look, I'm not going to beat this drum too loudly, but the eastern time zone is clearly the best. No. Because everything revolves around you. No. And it's... Just, I mean, like, I can't imagine, I mean, I can, because I lived out here, getting home and having to, like, get into sports watching mode at, like, 4.15 in the afternoon sounds awful, whereas it feels like more more of an event at night. Even even football, like, SEC games start at 12.30, like, I'm just getting into my day out here if, when yeah. it, on the West Coast, but... 3.30 in the afternoon, that's perfect. Well, there's nothing better than waking up at 9.30 and getting Michigan's latest loss out of the way. <laughs> you can have the rest of your Saturday. It's no problem, okay, on Saturday. Yeah, you've been living the, the college football struggle for a minute. The other good thing is, you know, in the NBA, the way they have kind of set it up, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of the bad teams are actually in the Eastern time zone. Mm-hmm. So they're those 4.15 games. So it's like if you're going to a doubleheader movie, you don't have to go to the first one. You can just show up for the good movie that's going to be later. It's like you're going to a concert. You don't have to go for the first, you know, opening acts. You can just show up when the good one comes on, right? So for us here in the Pacific time zone, yeah, if you can't get home from work at 4.15, well, God forbid you watch the Wizards go down 20 to the Knicks. You just pick it up at halftime and you're good to go. And then you have all the good games. It's true. It does. It works well if you're an elitist. Um, All right. Next question from Noah. He says, were you guys aware of how well things are working out for David Lee after getting bumped from the Warriors dynasty? And it has a link to a tweet where he's wishing happy Valentine's Day to his new girlfriend, Caroline Wozniacki. And then he wanted us to give an update on Joel Embiid's Valentine's Day. I have no Embiid Valentine's Day take, but I am really happy for David Lee. I've always been a big fan of Caroline Wozniacki. And uh, as as shitty as things went for him, <laughs> basically getting kicked off the, the bandwagon right as things got wildly successful... Uh, well, not to mention his terrible injury to end his career in San, San Antonio, which was awful. Yeah. Not really talked about. I mean... But... All things considered, still doing pretty well, you know? Yeah. 
I don't know who that girl is, uh, but <laughs> so she's a professional tennis player, and she's always been very funny and and cool. Um, and I I may or may not have had a crush on her like six years ago. Sounds like you still do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the only reason I included this. But uh, shout out to both of them. Happy for them. I I wish them nothing but the best. Yeah, that's great. I mean, just because you get played off the court of the NBA doesn't mean you get played off the court of life. That's right. That's right. Um, our last thing is a we're going to start reading reviews. And here is an iTunes oh, review wait. from Brent. So when people go to Apple Podcasts and they give us a five-star review, they can write a little comment. And yes. now you're going to read that. Yes. And everyone else gets to hear it. Yep. This is a brilliant idea, Andrew. I love it. I think a lot of people probably just turned off the podcast. But Brent says, this is really the only bipartisan NBA podcast out there. Whether you worship at the altar of bucket getters or prefer efficiency-based analysis, these guys will have you covered. So thank you for that, Brent. And I think we should probably try to make that the official slogan of the podcast. The only bipartisan NBA podcast yeah, out there. Yeah, fair and balanced. Yeah, I just worry what that means about the side you're on i mean because when because <laughs> like obviously if it's bipartisan you have an intelligent side right and no probably I, guys like me and pop and kerr look so who's on your side who I'm, are the i'm on the free-spirited side okay i'm embracing the artistry of the game oh you, you're the republican of this no, podcast so let's not get confused there's absolutely no one uh and another one patrick also sent in a review and added uh as a fantasy basketball player since the 2000s I am extremely disappointed in the lack of fantasy updates on Team Sharp. Okay, so Patrick, just to clear my own name and conscience here, I have asked for Team Sharp updates at least twice a month since the start of the season, and this guy is always wheeling and dealing. He's texting over (laughs) his fake trades, which mean absolutely nothing to me. I do not get what they mean, but my only assumption, Patrick, we haven't got updates because he's not winning. Okay, I'm not winning. See? Part of the problem is that I built a team that was too successful and then I got bored with it and began trading. Basically I've compared myself to Daryl Morey in the past. Uh, I'm the Daryl Morey, Daryl Morey of fantasy basketball. And I don't say that proudly, uh, but I was just trading constantly. And recently like this past week, someone in my league compared me to a woman who's addicted to getting plastic surgery until one day the, her oh, face no. is, is unrecognizable so currently, in the wake of the Porzingis injury, I had to sort of go into overdrive. I now have three Lakers on my team and two Phoenix Suns. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm really betting, betting the season on Devin Booker carrying me down the stretch and Isaiah Thomas coming back from the dead to reclaim some dignity so in L.A. Who did you pick up when you lost Porzingis? Uh, Dwight Powell. That was a really dark day. Yeah. So that's like the moment where you get out of surgery and your nose just melts off your face and they just <laughs> did something really wrong. Bad. So my team was riding high for about two months and is currently unrecognizable and not very good. But uh, I will update you uh, come playoff time. How about that? Well, we're alone in this hotel room still talking about basketball, so I figured I'd try to get, uh, get the good answers out of you. Yeah, it's time to go. Hit us up with reviews questions we're going to check in late sunday night i believe with a recap podcast and um yeah this has been fun and now we're going to go spend the rest of the weekend running around andrew you cannot end a podcast without reminding them to send in their questions concerns thoughts on the (laughs) houston rockets and golden state warriors to openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail 
at gmail.com. If you guys want to know what's up here at All-Star Weekend, shoot us a line. We'll be glad to cover it in our All-Star Weekend wrap-up podcast, which will be coming in a couple of days. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts for sure. Be sure to leave comments because now Andrew's reading them. That's pretty awesome. Until about five minutes from now, Andrew, I'll talk to you. <laughs> All right, man. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.